I met Dustin Woodward at a, a conference out here in Oklahoma and just was amazed at his vulnerability and uh, his just transparency into his life, his personal life, his ministry life, and uh, just so excited for you guys to hear uh, what he's going to be talking about today. Uh, I heard a little bit of it at the conference, and when he said he wanted to talk about it on the call, I was just very excited about for you guys to hear it. I think it's going to be uh, very beneficial and uh, very relative to where you guys are at. And so uh, let me do a little formal introduction, and Dustin will we'll get you going, man. So Dustin Woodward is the Executive Associate Pastor at Copper Point Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Since entering into ministry 10 years ago, he has built an influential youth and young adult ministries, which has become one of the largest ministries in the Southwest. He's married and is a proud partner, uh, member of the Four Kids Club, uh, and uh, loves doing life, communicating, and reaching the lost. Um, God has given him a great passion to help people meet Jesus. And so, Dustin, man, we're just so honored to have you today um, and have you share with us today. So I'm going to turn the table over to you. And, uh, right. Dustin, it's all you, man. Go for it. All right. Hey, thank you so much, man. Um, honestly, it's a, it really is an honor to be able to do this. When you asked, I, I wanted to do it really badly. And when you gave me the option of this topic, I was really excited. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit about me. Um, I became the youth and young adult pastor in 2006 and stepped out of uh, day-to-day youth and young adult ministry three years ago. I'm still an oversight of it at our church, but my younger brother, Brandon, is overseeing youth and young adults uh, now, and he is just taking it further and farther than I ever could have. So he would be a great resource as well to anybody listening uh, to contact him with youth and young adult ministry. But, um, yeah, so where I'm at, I mean, this, what I'm going to talk about today is um, church and culture and how we um, walk that fine line between um, – reaching the culture, but being the church, and how we articulate the gospel to this young generation, and this has been a major, major, major passion of mine, Um, really, I mean, since the beginning, but uh, even more so the last uh, two or three years, um, you know, thinking forward into one day senior pastoring, when you start getting closer to feeling that mantle, you start wondering, what kind of church am, am I going to pastor? Where you guys are at with youth ministry and where I was, you're thinking, what kind of youth ministry is this going to be? What's our, what's our anthem? What are people going to leave our youth ministry um, thinking and believing, and how are we equipping them? Um, I, so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just jump into this. Um, when it comes to this, we'll answer a few questions in this, and a couple of the questions we'll answer are, um, who, who are we trying to reach in this culture? What is the outside culture? Who are they? Um, who is this next generation? When I first started in 2006, it is radically different, even in those, um, you know, I guess 11, 10, 11 years, um, it's radically different um, now than it was even then. Um, so the other day, well, real, actually about six months ago now, I was uh, sitting in a coffee shop that I go to pretty much every day, and uh, I've become friends with several of the baristas in the coffee shop and um, they are far from God, and one of them now is, uh, good news, is a lot closer to God and opening, opening up to come to church. But when I was having this conversation um, with them, I, I just said, hey, I'm, I'm actually, they knew I was a pastor, and we have a lot of conversations, and I said, hey, I'm studying this, and I'm trying to write a message on how the church can do a better job in, um, in proclaiming and, and talking about what Jesus really was and what he stood for. And, and I kind of worded it like that with them. Because they're, I mean, as, you know, quote-unquote lost as you can get. 
so I, I got two or three of them at a table and just said, you know, what, who are you? How do you feel about church? How do you feel about God, the Bible? And I just started jotting down notes, and those two or three people started rattling off info, and these are some of the things um, I took from them as great representations of culture because they were uh, 18 years old, 19, and 21. And this is, these are some of the things they said. They feel hostile toward the Bible, but the truth is they haven't read it. They view Christianity as judgmental, narrow-minded, arrogant, hypocritical, relationally shallow, and intellectually inferior. Um, some of my notes I took about them are they seem paganistic in, in the fact that you know, they just don't believe in our God. They obviously don't believe in the Bible. Pluralistic, that they see all roads leading to heaven. Um, everybody can find their own path. And then also relativistic, which is basically those same things. Um, they are pro-movement and anti-institution. Uh, they view the church as an institution, like the definition of. Um, they have a disdain for corporate church and a growing disdain for organized religion as a whole. They're rebellious toward rules and religion. They need a why for every what. Extremely political um, and liberal in their mindset. They fight for the marginalized. They view the church as out of touch, irrelevant, and part of the problem rather than being the solution, what we would believe is the solution. So um, obviously I knew a lot of these going into that conversation because I'm around a lot of lost younger people anyways, but it was really cool for me to sit down with them, these people that I had earned a relationship with and, and cultivated that with for the last few months, and they were really open with me. They respected what I believed. I respected what they believed, and they were honest. And I think it's a really good representation of what we're dealing with and who we're trying to reach. Um, so here's the bottom line. They want equality. They're champions for the weak. This is the generation we're trying to reach. Uh, they're champions for the weak, the poor, the refugee, the immigrant. They desire um, and want leaders to have mercy. They see value in all people. They oppose violence, and they crave peace. And after I wrote those down and my kind of conclusion to that conversation, I look at that and thought, this is crazy because they want all the exact same things we want. Um, but our method in achieving them is what's different. And immediately I saw this massive common ground where before I go into that conversation, I'm thinking, man, I, I don't even know if there is common ground. What is the common ground? But it is so crazy to me over the last two or three years of really diving in how much common ground we have. They see the solution to all of these things as maybe a government or maybe a new group being formed, and we view it obviously as the gospel. So um, what does all this mean and where, where are we going with this? Um, the Barna Group in one of their recent studies stated that this is the first generation to fully grow up in a non-Christian America, born in and grow up in. That's my kid's age. I don't know if you guys have kids, but um, I've got a, a girl that's almost 14 years old, a boy that is almost 12, an 8-year-old boy, and a 3-year-old girl, four kids, uh, like what was mentioned earlier. And it's scary because they are in that generation, the younger millennials, um, and they're growing up in a completely non-Christian America. So this is what I want to look at. I want to look at the Apostle Paul for the next few minutes, and then we'll hit some practical things with Daniel, and then we'll open up for some uh, Q&A. But when I look at the, the first century, m most theologians today and historians, Christian historians, believe that our generation right now, this century, since the first century, is the most similar of all centuries uh, to that first one. So when we look at the Apostle Paul and how he reached 
um, Corinth and Rome and, and even different parts of the Jewish culture in Jerusalem. How did, how did the apostles do it? Specifically Paul, when you really study his, his methods and how he reached that generation which was so lost, ours which is so lost, he was very specific in how he did it. You know, if I'm talking to Paul, these are the things I'm going to ask him. How did, how did you reach that culture? What was your mindset on the younger generation? Um, how were you not paralyzed by fear? Uh, how were you able to raise up that many leaders? How did you know what to preach to certain groups of people? And I don't know if, know if you guys have noticed, but when you research and look at his sermons and study them, he uses radically different language, different methods, different terminology in his sermons and even in, in his conversations. Uh, so when we study it, um, I, I've, the last, again, the last two or three years, this is something huge for me. And, and, wh- and when I'm kind of concluding studying some of these topics and looking at the Apostle Paul, um, this is kind of what I came up with, is that there's two, he has a lot of different methods in approaching ministry, but there's two major simple approaches that he had. Um, and the first one is this. The first approach that he had was the assuming guilt approach, the assuming guilt approach. Um, this is the approach that says you need forgiveness, and you approach that in your sermons and in life and even as a ministry operating off the assumption that everybody there needs forgiveness. And we believe, obviously, everybody outside of Christ does. We all need forgiveness, right? But in our messages, what happens is sometimes, even when we get down to our altar calls or in conversations one-on-one with teenagers, we operate off the assumption that they believe they need forgiveness. So when our approach is, you need forgiveness, to this generation, the vast majority of this generation coming up does not believe they need forgiveness. They are not walking around with a sense of guilt, even like many of us did in our generation or even just a few years ago. Um, you know, what we're noticing now in our church and in the studying I'm doing is, is that when you say in an altar call, the beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to carry around that guilt anymore. You know, what you did last week and, and, and what, what you've done in your past. For some teenagers, it still works. I'm not saying it's an you know, method we have to throw out. It still works. But what we're finding more and more is when we approach altar calls and conversations like that, we're seeing more of a glazed look over teenagers and college students' eyes, and they're looking at us wanting to feel what we feel, but they don't feel the guilt. And here's an approach that Paul took uh, with the Jews when he's preaching in Acts chapter 13, and he's talking to Bible-believing, Old Testament-believing Jews, and he's trying to talk to them about Jesus. And keep in mind that all of these people have the assumption of guilt. They have knowledge of the law. They have knowledge of right and wrong. And this is what he says in Acts 13, 38, and 39. This is his wording. Really listen closely. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So when he's talking to believers, when he says that, they go, man, that makes sense. He's saying, he's saying I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And they're thinking, wait, wait, wait there's a guy that's going to forgive my sins? That's amazing. And everyone can be set free from sin. And, and Paul's saying that's called justification. And he's using law and sin and justification. And if you guys know, if we approach that with youth ministry right now, they're like, law, sin? This is exactly why I don't come to church because I don't feel guilty. I don't necessarily feel like I need forgiveness. But here's the key. They still need it. We still have to preach it. 
but it's a slightly different approach, I believe, in bridging the gap between church and culture. Um, the second approach, and that leads us to the second approach that Paul uses, is the addressing idols approach. And I believe um, predominantly that this is the approach, the approach that we're going to need to use mostly. Yes, there are still teenagers that have somewhat of a church background that fall into that previous category of, you know, they're still sensitive to church, they're still sensitive to God, but, you know, maybe they've walked away from God or maybe they've heard about it and they still have that sense of guilt. And so we still need to use, hey, one of the beauties of the gospel is that you can be free from that sin and that bondage and, and the guilt and shame that you feel. We still need to say it, but the, the approach that really needs to start taking precedence is this one, addressing idols approach. And the mentality is this. It's not necessarily you need forgiveness as the first step. It's you are enslaved by idols. Now, you can't use that wording, but that's the mentality. So I mentioned that I was talking with some people at a coffee shop. One of those guys at the coffee shop um, that I've become really good friends with, um, he's living a, a homosexual lifestyle and um, a great guy, really kind, and we become friends. I mean, every time I go in there, we talk about church and life, and he hasn't come yet, but he, he's one of those guys that has really opened up with me. And one day, we were sitting down on his break talking, and he, we started talking about church and stuff, and, and I said, hey, so what is your hesitancy really? Like, we're friends. I tell you I preach. Why don't you just come listen? Like, you know, I come here. Why don't you just come and check it out with me and um, come hear me preach one time? He said, honestly, he said, I just can't deal with the you know, the rules and the regulations and all that stuff. And he says, it's just too judgmental. And he's like, I just, I just can't deal with it. And I said, hey, so let me ask you this. Um, and he said also, that, you know, the, I mean, he was also talking about, like, the whole gay thing. And I, he said, I just don't want, you know, to be an outcast and ostracized and all that. And so I just started talking to him, and I just said, um, you know, one of the things, I, I mean, first of all, you never would be at our church, man. And, and, um, but I said, why don't we just talk for a minute? And I said, you're not going to come and have the Bible beaten over your head. And he, you know, he kind of starts opening up, and we start talking, and I say, hey, so let me ask you this question. Because um, he told me he doesn't believe in the Bible. So I said, let me ask you this question. Are you fulfilled in life, completely fulfilled? Because he had told me about a month earlier that he had finally found the love of his life, gotten into a relationship with this guy, and things were great. So I said, are you fulfilled in this relationship? Are you completely fulfilled in life? And he goes, No. I'm a little, I'm happier, but I'm not fulfilled. And I said, isn't it interesting that you're now 26, 27 now. You've been in a relationship that you've been searching for your, supposedly your entire life. You finally enter into this relationship. <clears throat> you, and is it everything you thought it would be? Is it everything you thought it would be? And he goes, no, it's not. And I, and I looked at him and I, and I said, Marcus, how can you explain the void that's still in your heart when the thing that you have formed your identity around has left you still wanting. And he, it was like something in his eyes, you know, lit up. And it was like, a, you know, a light went off. And he started to realize there is a void. There is a void. And I said, hey, man, this isn't, this isn't a homosexuality issue. I said, there are, people, there are people all over the world that are heterosexual relationships that still feel the void. And I said, he, because here's the reason. A people aren't meant to fill the void. There's one person, one thing that is meant to fill the void, to fill the void that will bring you fulfillment, and it's Jesus. And until you open up your life 
and allow Jesus to fulfill and fill that void in your life, you're always going to search for the next thing to complete you. And it was an understanding, a level of understanding that he had never had before. And so as we're talking, it validates what I've been working on and studying so much more because if I would have approached that conversation and said, hey man, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're free from the law and this and Jesus and that you're going to have forgiveness of sin. He's going to look at me and go, I don't believe I'm sinning, so why would I need forgiveness? So um, it, it's a really big deal for me, and I, and I know this is real, more like 30,000-foot mentality stuff, but I think once we get the mentality right, a lot of the day-to-day practical things that we need to do with bridging that gap will naturally happen when there's a mentality shift in us as the leaders of these youth ministries. I'll give you an example of how Paul approaches the idol approach. In Acts chapter 14, in verse 15, uh, Paul's now talking to Gentiles. And, um, he, he's in, and so he's talking to people that are far from God and that have no background with the God of Israel, nothing. And this is what he says. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. It's so crazy when you contrast. And so in your own study time, do this. Go to Acts 13 and read his sermon to the Jews, and then go to Acts 14 and read his sermon to the Gentiles, and you're going to see radically different methods. In his sermon to the Gentiles, you're not going to see him even use the word sin. You're not going to see him use the word law, and you're not going to see him use the word forgiveness. But you, what you are going to say is that he, see him say that there's good news, but you still need to turn. But his wording is different. It's you need to turn from these worthless things. Well, that's, that's repentance. And he says good news. Well, that's Jesus. And the worthless things are the idols. And what he's saying is, why would you worship something you made with your own hands when there is a living God that made you with his own hands who made the heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them? And this is what Paul says in this sermon when you research it um, as a whole. These are the themes. He's saying these idols, they leave you empty, don't they? They promise fulfillment, but they leave you empty empty. They promise fulfillment in war, or in, in gods of war, and romance, and they promise fulfillment with money, and they promise fulfillment with, with achievement and winning all these battles. But what he's saying is all of these things are, are dead, and every time you achieve one of them and get one of them, you are just as empty, if not more empty, than you were before. He's saying these things are powerless, but my God created the heavens and the earth. These things promise more than they can deliver. They always take more than they can give. My God always gives more than he takes. And so what he's doing is he's flipping their mentality upside down, and he's not going into a Gentile world talking about the law of Moses and how Jesus is the fulfillment of it in in technical terms. No, he's saying, hey, guys, there is so much more than worshiping what what you're worshiping. I know the emptiness you feel. I've felt it before. The pursuit of all of these things, the promotion, the dating relationship, the grade you thought you had to have, the team you thought you were going to make. And you, you guys, as listening right now, when you're standing up there in your messages, using this approach or sitting in your one-on-one meetings and, and teaching small group leaders and discipleship coaches and whatever you have in your youth ministry, teaching this model, what this does is it allows us to look in teenagers' eyes and say, I know that emptiness you feel. And the emptiness you feel is going to always be there until the God who made you fills that void. And that's our bridge into culture. And this is where I'll I'll transition into Daniel in one second and be done. 
But this is why it's so powerful, and that's why I'm approaching it like, like this, uh, with, with kind of approaching it with like a 30,000-foot mentality, because that stuff needs to change. Because when I'm sitting in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with a teenager, and they get it, they get it, just like that guy at the coffee shop, and they get it finally. They go, whoa, whoa, okay. So I didn't necessarily believe the Bible coming into this meeting. I didn't necessarily believe the same way you believed, Pastor, coming into this meeting, but the common ground that we both have or have had in our lives is that empty feeling that nothing in this world can fill. Nothing. No human can deny that. And when you're sitting with a teenager and they can't deny it and you can't deny it, and you're saying, well, I have reached that fulfillment. I'm not happy every day of my life, but I am fulfilled. And it was only through opening up my heart to Jesus. And I'll, I'll say something like, you don't have to believe every word of the Bible right now. You don't. You only have to believe one thing in this moment and it's that Jesus came, died on a cross as us, took our place, and you explain that briefly, but you just say, hey, that act on the cross, when we acknowledge Jesus as Savior, he fills the void in our lives no future relationship, that no future relationship could do, no um, you know, sexual act could do, nothing, no amount of money can do. That is the thing. And I, said, one, and I teach him, once you receive Jesus, then let tomorrow take care of itself. Yes, we'll open up our Bible tomorrow and the next day, and we'll start seeing what it has to say. But it, before we confront them with the Bible, we have to show them common ground that every human has, even Christians, with them. So let's jump this, in, into this real quick. Paul I, is the um, master of finding common ground. And I wrote this down, and this is what I've been preaching a lot lately. Our job is not primarily to confront culture. It's to connect with it. I think a lot of times we view culture as kind of like, oh, man, how are we going to combat culture? How are we going to fight this thing? It's getting so bad. How are we going to fight it? And yet, I mean, yeah, it's that. I mean, obviously it's sin. Yeah, so it, in one aspect, yeah, we've got to fight it. But in a broader, bigger aspect, we've got, we've got to connect with it. There is so much common ground because the culture is yelling at these teenagers, these are the things that are going to make you happy. Every Disney movie ends in, with a happily ever after. Every young girl and boy is growing up believing that a, a relationship is going to completely fulfill them. Then they get married, have the wedding of their dreams. They wake up the next day still unfulfilled. Why? Because the culture is screaming, these things fulfill you. So what we can do is step in and say, those things can fulfill you for a moment but I have something that can fulfill for a lifetime. Um, the approach, this common ground approach will radically change us, will radically change the people that we're having conversations with, and those students, once they get this radical shift in their minds, they leave our services as um, culture-changing agents. So we're not duplicating teenagers that are going to walk into a high school and just start, you know, yelling scripture at people and, and, and or even, even in a nice way using the Bible. Yes, still use the Bible. I don't want you guys getting off this call thinking that I don't think we need to use the Bible. I am 100% every word inspired. We use the Bible completely. But what I'm teaching the teenagers is before you open up the Bible to someone who doesn't believe in the Bible, find common ground. What's the common ground? The common ground is the emptiness that they have and that you had before Christ. I remember when I was 18 years old, um, one of my best friends um, was a girl, and uh, right before I graduated, she wanted to go to coffee with me, and she opened up and started talking about how her mom the night before had told her that she was leaving her dad uh, for a woman. And I was 18 years old, and I definitely did not have the insight I have right now on this stuff, and I was, 
I seriously like opened up my Bible and started, I was so concerned that she was going to drift and think that was okay. I started telling her all the things in scripture that made it wrong just in case she was starting to drift. And I approached it with the Bible. Um, and this, this girl was very, very, very new to the faith, had so many questions about scripture, was not completely bought in to scripture. And that conversation, because of my fear and not finding common ground, but using the Bible almost as a weapon, um, it drove her away from God. She today is not a Christ follower at all, and I still deal a lot with guilt from that and conviction from how I handled that conversation because that conversation steered her in the, her in the wrong direction because I was using Scripture as a weapon rather than using it as common ground. And if we don't get our mentality right, <clears throat> we won't be able to shift our church, our youth ministry, and in turn we won't be able to shift the outside culture. Um, I'm running out of time, but I'm just going to say this too. The story of Daniel and Babylon is the best, the best uh, full depiction, blueprint on what a, how a teenager needs to live in a culture. Uh, you know, our culture today is like a Babylon. Daniel, when he first got to Babylon, was a teenager. And we went through that entire um, story in about a six to eight week series when I was a youth pastor one time. And it was one of the largest seasons of growth we had ever had because it was all about following Daniel as a teenager through Babylon, watching him rise up in the ranks <clears throat> to having the king's ear and how he had to navigate through going to a secular university, eating foods that he wasn't supposed to eat, and going through all of these things and trying to figure out how he walked that line of godliness and culture in order to have the king's ear to steer a nation. Um, at the end of that study, I, a commentator wrote this, all of Daniel's success in Babylon came down to the fact that he simply knew which things to say yes to and which things to say no to when he was a teenager. And I love that. And he expounded and just saying we can make things so complicated in, in culture and, and bridging this gap. But with, when you watch Daniel, it all came down to one simple thing, what to say yes to, what to say no to. So think about this real quick. Daniel, when he was a teenager, he had the wisdom to know these things. He said yes to giving up his Hebrew name. There were probably people around him that viewed that as ungodly. But as Daniel gave up his Hebrew name and then moved into, as he moved into Babylon, it gave him favor with people, but he never lost his faith. He said yes to loving the city. A lot of times we'll look at our cities, and Albuquerque is one of them. It's so bad. It's like in the bottom of every single list. And people will post articles on Facebook only in Albuquerque. I can't believe how bad Albuquerque is getting, how bad Albuquerque is getting. People are moving and, and stuff away just because of how bad it's getting. But our mentality, my mentality is, no, 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 no. Our city is a Babylon, but I love it. I love it. I'm not just going to view the city as sinful and me avoid it. I'm going to integrate into the city um, as an agent of change and to change it. So he said yes to loving Babylon. He said yes to pagan schooling. He said no to idol worship, and he said no to the king's food. And this is what's interesting. The fact that he said no to the king's food is what led to what we know today as the Daniel fast. That Daniel fast came from that story right, when he said no to the king's food, but it got the attention of the people when he said no, this is against what I believe, but he said watch me and see if I'm not stronger than all the other men by the time this is over. And he didn't eat what they ate, and through God and through this diet, he became stronger, and it was a tool that he used to, to bridge the gap. And this is, this is what I wrote down. There would be no Daniel in the lion's den if there, were, if there wasn't Daniel rejecting the king's food. 
the only reason that we have the story of Daniel in the lion's den and, and how the entire nation watched, how his God shut the mouths of the lions and everyone became believers at that point, the only reason Daniel was ever put in that position of power was because when he was a teenager, he knew what to say yes to and what to say no to. So I, you know, the decisions he made at 14 determined the kind of man he would be at 40. And these are the kinds of things we need to keep in mind with teenagers. Daniel was a young man of resolve. I had a conversation with my daughter um, turning 14 and, and going into high school soon, and we were talking about what it takes the other day, just driving home. I picked her up from her small group, and we were just driving home, and that was the topic at their group. And, and I said, you know, I remember when my dad dropped me off the first day of high school, and, and I'm going to do the same thing with you, is, you know, I said, Avery, the whole key to all of this is having resolve. You have to know who you are and what you're going to say yes to and what you're going to say no to before you ever get into the questioning situations. What, who are you? What, what do you say yes to? What do you say no to? And that's how we teach these teenagers to bridge that gap even more and to go into the world and to make a difference. I think a lot of times we put, as pastors, we put ourselves into the position of being a Paul and a Daniel. Like we, we are the masters of, of cultural change and we're the ma- I'm going to go into the culture and change it. I'm going to do this. And yeah, that's true. But our job as pastors isn't necessarily to be Paul and Daniel. It's to train Pauls and Daniels. We don't just sit at the top going, I'm a Paul and a Daniel and you guys learn from me. It's I, I, I've learned a little something, but I'm going to train you guys how to be Pauls and Daniels so that we can bridge the gap between church and and culture. When we get these approaches right, we'll know the right yeses, and we will know the right noes, and in turn, our students will know the right yeses, and they will know the right noes. So last statement, we need to teach teenagers how to be Apostle Pauls and Daniels, and where we don't only try to be those men, but we train people how to be the change agents in our culture. And so um, those, are, that's, those are my thoughts, and I know those are general. They're kind of mentality shifting, but um, we can definitely in the Q&A for a few minutes get more specific. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Wow, Dustin, that was fantastic, man. Thank you so much for sharing and, and just getting the conversation started. Um, and so really thankful for you and all that you've been doing um, for, man, just youth ministry for so many years as you travel around and speak and share and I know you've got uh, a, a much bigger understanding of culture and youth ministry and church than just your local contacts as you travel around and talk to people. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and switch over to going to go ahead and switch over to our Q and A session. If you have a question, go ahead and hit star six. Go ahead and hit star six, and that will get you in there for a question. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and get it started. Uh, as we kind of jump in over uh, over this, and I uh, just want to ask you this: um, what what does that kind of look like? I know you talked about that you go to a coffee shop um, and, and engage with people there, but what does it look like for the youth pastor, uh, the the senior pastor, whatever, who's you know they've got all their meetings lined up at the church, and they've got hospital visitations that they got to go to for their own people, and you know, schools to visit uh, for their own students and all that kind of stuff. And so what is it, maybe some tips on what does that look like to be engaged in culture as a pastor on kind of a day-to-day kind of a level for for some of these guys? 
got you muted. Sorry, let me unmute you real quick. Oh, you're fine. When Sorry I was about a, that. I had you muted. You're fine. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we got you. Great. So when I was a single youth pastor, um, you know, we didn't have kids, or if you're, if you're married, don't have kids, or single and don't have kids, it was honestly a little bit harder. I could spend a whole lot more time with the teenagers teaching them how, but they're, you know, aside from just, you know, peers and, and going to coffee shops and hanging out with people that I went to high school with and, and, and working on them, it was a little bit difficult. Where, where it started really opening up for my wife and I was when we had kids, and we, they're, in, they're in sports programs, and they're going to their own schools, and we have all of these functions, and then all of a sudden I find myself um, naturally in the presence of hundreds of um, non-believers. So my, my favorite, personally, my favorite area to, to minister is on the sidelines and in the bleachers at my kids' games and extracurricular activities where I'm getting into conversations and I find common ground in conversations where we just start talking, they find out I'm a pastor just like you guys, and all of a sudden you're like a buzzkill. The moment you say pastor, they're like, oh, yeah, well, I, sorry for cussing, bless God, and, you know, <laughs> I went to church last week. But the, the whole thing, though, is it, it's, I view it as a challenge, almost like a, not a game, but as a challenge where I'm going to find common ground. I'm going to study this person. We're going to have conversation, and I'm just going to start talking. And lo and behold, eventually they open up, share something. There's a, there's a, a gap. I look for those, the emptiness where they open up and they show you that little vulnerability of that's where they're hurting, that's where they're empty, that's where someone left them, abandoned them, um, they, they pursued something and it didn't fulfill them. And the moment I catch that, that's what I jump on. And I go, whoa, that's interesting. that happened to me too once, where I thought I was going to get this, and I did, and then all of a sudden I still wasn't happy. And that's how I immediately find common ground in those conversations. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's go ahead and uh, switch over to uh, Mr. Andre Anderson. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I have to jump on a call every time with that voice. Um, all right, <laughs> your your so, radio intro. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, oh, yeah, Andre Anderson. What's up, man? <laughs> How you doing? This is hot chocolate coming at you. Um, so, um, Dustin, man, this is, uh, this is really fun. I, I, I love this. Um, expect, a, expect a phone call from me soon. But uh, right. anyway. Um, so here's the deal. Um, I personally, I, I, I get what you're saying and, and I feel that cause I honestly, I don't even like Christians. Uh, so I just love being around unsaved people pretty much all the time. Um, yeah. and that's my style. That's what I like. Um, that's how I'm wired. So, but for the other people who are on this call or are going to listen to later, um, explain how you find your balance because there's a lot of people who are just saying, but Hey bro. Sin is sin. And right. so how do I just let that go if I'm having a conversation? Like if you're sitting there in a conversation on the sideline, isn't sin sin? You know, because a lot of guys like to, you know, whenever they see something like sin, they like to shine the floodlight. But when you're in the dark and you turn on a floodlight, I'm ticked. Right. So, so how do you, as a pastor, light a candle and draw people to the light? So this is, this is what I do. Yes, so there are obviously sins. The biggest sin, you know, I guess you can say that. Bear with me. The biggest sin that all of us carry around is the emptiness that we have before Christ, before we have a relationship with Christ, because that's the, the sin of being unsaved. So we're not, we're not saved. 
So uh, before I address any lifestyle thing, I mean, at all, that's the number one thing. And so when I, when I talk about addressing the emptiness, it's not just fulfillment. We're, we're, I mean, I'm getting at the fulfillment of Jesus and the gospel. And if we really believe um, what we believe, I mean, you can look at the thief on the cross. Jesus didn't look at the thief on the cross and be like, hey, before you go to paradise, I really need to address all of the sins just so you don't think they're okay in your last breath. You know, it was today you're going to be there because you believed. You've got, you know, Acts 14 where Paul's talking to these people about idols and he never even uses the word sin, but he addresses the big sin with them. The big sin was idol worship. It's what they pursue, um, you know, instead of God for fulfillment. So, yes, so I, in the first, those first conversations, I don't address all of their personal sins unless they bring it up and ask questions about it. Once we get Jesus, then we, start, then we can start going in, in discipleship mode. Fresh. Yep. That's, that's what I need to hear, baby. I love that, that answered your question okay? Oh, yeah. I, okay. Listen, I was, I was asking a question for them because I know a lot of people are – like a lot of guys are going to be thinking this. Right, and, right, right. But, you know, but it, it's just something that we need to address because that's a – you know, we see it all so, the time. So I'll give, I'll give you, you know. an example. I, you know, I've, I've mentored a lot of young men that have, you know, dealt with uh, same-sex attraction, homosexuality, you know, whatever you want to call it. And our first meeting that I have with a young man, and he opens up and confesses this, I'm not like, all right, well, before we go anywhere, I have to let you know that if you dive into this, it's going to send you to hell. I mean, I don't do that. I just say, hey, you know what? You struggle with this? I said, hey, this is, I want to let you know something really uh, the first thing out the gate. Um, this does not make you weird. This does not make you abnormal. Um, every person in this building right now in all of our offices has a very, have very unique struggles um, in their life. So I don't want you to feel alienated or ostracized because of this uh, struggle. And I said, there are very godly people in our church who have the exact same struggle as you. And I said, so what, that's the first thing I, I want to say to them, you know, is I'm not going and opening up the Bible going, okay, before we go anywhere, you've got to know that this is on the list of things that don't make it to the kingdom of heaven. You know, I'm like, I, I've, I've seen people do that before, and it just ostracizes people and pushes them so far away from God. So, I don't know. <laughs> Does that I make think sense? it's easy for us to re- to forget where we've come from. Absolutely uh, it is. It, it's mm-hmm. easy for us to, to forget where we've come from and our own depravity and the, our own need and, and to kind of begin to elevate ourselves in the midst of their vulnerability. And it just mm-hmm. creates a distance as opposed to remaining vulnerable, remaining humble, and be like, man, I, I, I'm here right here with you. Yeah, always meet their vulnerability with your vulnerability. When they're vulnerable, you respond with vulnerability, and that's the common ground. Don't ever respond to their vulnerability with you speaking, you know, in, in kind of a little bit more direct, harsh truths. All, your next step is always your vulnerability. Find common ground, then move toward truth and, and the methods on how to walk people um, forward in their relationship with God. Yeah, that's so good. Let's move on to uh, Michael Moore. Go ahead and jump on, man. Hey, thank you. That was actually really good. I, I, a lot of things that you spoke into uh, is kind of the stuff that I've been thinking about. Um, one of the questions I had was, what are some questions, like, you know, like you're saying you know, you're at a coffee shop or you're out and about or you're, you're on the stands. What are some questions that kind of open the door uh, to the conversation to be a little bit faster because sometimes we don't have, you know, a couple of days or a couple of hours 
sometimes we're just in, you know, these conversations for like 20, 30 minutes. What are some questions that kind of open, opens up that door a little bit quicker? Okay. Um, if you operate off the assumption that they know you're a believer, like if, if you're having a conversation and they know you're a believer and know you're a pastor, um, using that conversation I had at the coffee shop or, you know, those relationships, they knew I was a pastor. So when I sit down, one of the biggest things they expect from Christians is to be real and authentic. That's what they want, but they, they assume that we're not. So I just ask this, the simple beginning to every conversation we all use, how are you doing? How are you doing? And they'll 99.9% of the time say, great, good. And I go, come on, be real, man. Be, be authentic. What do you, how are you really doing? And I use, not to be a jerk, but I kind of use their wording against them because they want me to be the definition and embodiment of real and authentic, right? So in the conversation, I go, oh, come on, man, be real. How are you really doing? How's life? What's going on with relationships, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, ah. Uh. And then they all of a sudden will say, well, this happened last week and this happened. And I go, tell me about that. Tell me about that. And then the, you, just really quick, I mean, I'm talking a matter of five minutes, you can have someone spilling their guts in all their pain they went through the last week. And pain is the common ground. Yeah. So that's what you kind of lead into. Hey, I was in that position, and exactly. You know, these are the things that I've done, and then you open up that that avenue. It, while they're telling, anytime someone's telling me their story of emptiness and pain, while they're talking, I'm listening with one ear, and then I'm like thinking in the back of my mind, what's the best story that I've gone through? What's something I can tell them where I, that I struggled with, where I dropped the ball, or an emptiness I felt, a breakup I went through? And I'm, as they're telling me their story, I'm thinking about the closest story I have to say, man, that is crazy. I dealt with something like that too. Bam. Tell the story. Their eyes get big and they go, really? You meet their vulnerability with your vulnerability. All the guards come down. Then you can you know, slowly start working in you know, the solution of, of God, Jesus. Okay. Okay. That that right there was unbelievable, Dustin. That was that that simple sentence and transitional conversation was incredible, man. I, that's just so simple. Because I, I think when we talk about this topic, it gets scary. Um, it gets, um, yeah. I mean, it just makes us uncomfortable. Uh, and man, what do I say? Or what if they ask about this? Or or what if they you know, ask this question, I don't know how to answer. And it's so, there's so many like theological or church history or all of these things that we, we think it's going to be about. And so what I love about what you just said there is that it it doesn't even involve any of those things that I think for me personally um, holds me back from wanting to engage in these conversations because it's like, well, what if they ask about this? And I don't know. Um, and it just makes it about, hey, this is just two people hanging out, talking about life. And uh, let me just share my story as you share your story. And it just makes it so relational and simple. I mean, I, I, it's just awesome, man. Cool. Very helpful. Let me, let me ask you uh, another question. So um, this is one that I'm be sen- trying to be sensitive on how I ask this, but I think everyone's wanting to know this. How are you guys at Copper Point dealing with fidget spinners? <laughs> How am I dealing with my home? They're driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right? They're, they remind me of like, you remember pogs? Like stuff that's yeah. that ridiculous? 
that's what it reminds me of. Like, they're all, they're all going to make fun of themselves like crazy in 10 years. I can't believe I had had 10 fidget spinners. So, yeah, I've been talking to youth pastors, man. They're like, you know, you've got people that love them, and then you've got people that they think it's just the worst thing ever. So hey, let me ask you this question. So uh, I heard uh, Urban Meyer say this. He said, he said, leaders have quotes, good leaders have speeches, and great leaders have systems. So you talked about training up, not just being Paul and Daniels, but to train up Pauls and Daniels. So what are some of the systems? I know you guys are system people, and you've got systems for your systems and all that kind of stuff. And so what, what's, what's something, what are some systems that you guys have in place? You mentioned small groups, things like that. But what are some of the things that you guys are doing to, to raise up some of these Pauls and Daniels? Yeah, so um, we, we always – it's – a lot, a lot of it's standard stuff, honestly, that most people do. It's just the emphasis you put on it. That's the main thing that I've seen in different churches I've gone to. Most churches, honestly, have the basic right systems in place. They have the wrong emphasis, or it's an afterthought, or they don't believe it in, an, in it enough to be the solution. So something as simple as small groups. This last year, starting in January, our youth ministry did move to the once-a-month service and um, the other three weeks small groups mentality. Um, system for this purpose. So I was mentioning I picked my daughter up from small group the other night. Well, um, they're gender specific for, you know, middle school girls, middle school boys, high school girls, high school boys, um, small groups, three times a month, and they gather for a big service. So in those small groups, that's where we're addressing this type stuff. It's not like, it with teenagers at least, it's not going to be these generalized, random, whoever wants to write a Bible study, write them. Again, that's another mistake I see in youth ministries is the each individual sermon is great. Each individual Bible study or small group lesson is great. But we, we can't, we're not in a world where we can just do individual sermons, individual Bible studies. All of our stuff has to be a system taking people somewhere. So our small groups are not, with teenagers, are not just the random Bible studies. They're all um, topic-based, obviously Bible-based, taking kids' places, like this, this uh, subject of Daniel how to be a teenager in a Babylon, not waiting on your turn, but doing it now. How can you be a Daniel now, no matter where you're, you know, what age you are, where you're at? And those are the types of things that we're talking about in those small groups. And then there is a, you know, they have, um, my brother is leading this now, and he's a very accessible guy. So I, you know, you can always contact him too for more specifics on this, what they're doing now. But I do know, because my kids are in it, I have two kids in youth ministry now, getting old, they are also have student leadership that meets every Sunday. They bring in lunch, and they, they have a, a level above, and it's invitation only to, to be in their student leadership program. And their student leadership is basically the steering wheel for youth ministry with methodology. So uh, my brother will go in, and I did this when I was a youth pastor as well. We let those teenagers be the voice of, of methods, and they're the ones who keep the, you know, their, their hand on culture, one hand in culture, one hand in the church, so we always know if what we're doing is relevant, if what we're doing is working, and we hear their voice so much. And when teenagers feel like their voice is heard and they see things that they give input on, actually change in the services and change in the systems, they buy in at levels you could never even imagine. So that's, that's one of the, you know, the biggest things I can say is give teenagers a voice, give them buy-in, and the more buy-in they have, the more of their heart they'll give you, and then you know things will just start growing and exploding. That's awesome. So good. So good. Hey, we're we're running out of time. Is there any last, me final thought or word of encouragement to these guys as we we kind of wrap up? 
Yeah, I just, I'm so excited. You know, you can look at how dark everything is in the world and get depressed, or you can look how dark everything is in the world and go, why in the world did God choose me right now? And it's because you're the one that's most equipped to do it. And I, every time I start getting depressed, I just snap out of it and go, no, 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 no. God chose me. God chose these other pastors. We're the ones. He trusts the most to lead in these dark times, and we can do it. We just have to have these conversations. We have, to, we have to build friendships with each other, form camaraderie, learn what's working more than ever before, don't hoard successes, share them, and, and we, we take this thing. And I, I'm just really excited to see these teenagers rise up because if teenagers can rise up in this culture and be the real deal, we will produce Daniels and Pauls. And that's, that's why I'm in ministry, and that's what I believe. So I'm excited. That's awesome. Encourage you guys to follow Dustin on social media. Uh, man, just so many good things going on. Follow their church. I know one of the things uh, we didn't have time to, to get into it, Dustin, but I know you guys are real sensitive about even the vocabulary that you guys use at your church. Not using the words like altar or you know, or at least explaining what that means, exactly. or um, like how, when you introduce songs that have kind of churchy words or phrases right. like the blood of the lamb you know you guys are real intentional about explaining that you want to maybe just take a take a second or two and just talk about yep. that because i know that was really important 30 seconds yeah just the next i'll challenge you with this the next you know staff meeting you have whatever look at look at everybody and guys and just say guys let's look at our services let's look at how we do ministry what and, and just remove all assumptions so what are you assuming that people should know that when you assume that, you, you are alienating them. Um, you know, even with kids rushing down to worship down front, that's great. It can be great. But if visitors are alienated because of it and you're not explaining why people run to the front, that's what I'm talking about. We're assuming that people should know what an altar is, what the blood of the lamb is, what the law is. And any time there's an assumption, we need to reel back and explain what that is and get everybody on board so we're not causing a chasm between the people who do know and the people who don't know. And that's a big bridge to gap. Oh, man. <laughs> this is just a, a small piece of a large, large conversation that I'm sure yeah. you've been having a lot. And so uh, thank you for starting that conversation and getting us, getting us thinking. So thanks, man, so much for, for your time and spending some uh, – just giving us some nuggets of, of information kind of ponder. I know – for me, I've got to spend some time reflecting and kind of evaluating what you've said and how it uh, applies to me and our context. And so, Dustin, right. man, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you. Just as a reminder, everybody, uh, we will be meeting next month, uh, the last Thursday of the month. Please uh, join us. If you want to jump on the live calls, uh, please text YPRT to 51555, and we can send you out all of the information on how to join the live call where you can ask questions and interact with the speakers. Uh, man, please check us out on the website, YPRoundtable, YPRoundtable.com. For more information, you can listen to this uh, recording as well as on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, guys, and we look forward to seeing and hearing from you guys next month. Thanks, thanks Dustin, and thanks, everybody, for joining us this month. Look forward to seeing you.